Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cool Zone Media. Uh, welcome back to Behind the Bastards, our special edition episodes on Sam Bankman, who is not freed because he is still in jail. That's, that's the intro I've got. It's the same as the last episode. It's still uh, really am funny. Am I hacking a fraud? Yes. No, you're hilarious. It's still it's, very funny. It's Sophie's favorite. This is the only time I've made Sophie laugh in years. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not true. Well, okay. You're so, I'm Switzerland on this issue. You're Swiss on this issue. Yes. Swiss you. Um, Jamie, <laughs> speaking of Switzerland, yes. you also were neutral in World War II. Is that correct? Yeah, I was sort of like, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Robert, you made me laugh no. again. Congrats. God damn two it. for two, baby. <laughs> So we took a couple of days in between recording part one and part two to really let it sink in. How how are you feeling on our technically not a behind the bastards on Michael Lewis, but basically a behind the bastards on Michael Lewis, author of the big short? I so in the in the interceding days, I've talked about the Michael Lewis of it all with a couple different people just to see if I was like if 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 I had just missed something but every single person i talked to i found had a similar experience to me where they did not know that he wrote the blind side oh good okay yeah and then when they found out that he wrote the blind side they're like oh yeah i could see that he <laughs> is a you know he's an honorary bastard yeah well maybe he is kind of a hack yeah <laughs> right well because yeah they were like yeah michael lewis Moneyball, the big short and you're like and another thing how did that how did how did we collectively forget that he wrote that it feels yeah. like he got away with something yeah and i i guess i've been thinking about what he's doing with sam bankman freed as i think about the upcoming napoleon movie which i will have watched by the time this comes out Good but it's Lord. not out yet so you excited about the Napole- the I'm, I'm, I'm ready everyone especially like all of these history twitter podcast people 
are, are so livid that Ridley Scott's basically like, who can who can say what the truth of Napoleon's life was? Which is, it is a, a ridiculous thing to say. He's very well documented. We actually know a lot about Napoleon, but also I don't give a shit. It's the guy who made Gladiator. Like, well, and so, also I, I appreciate because all biopics are, you know, nonsense yeah horseshit right and so you're like well this is the one director who's going to say my biopic is kind of horseshit it's just lies which also very appropriate for napoleon but what is the line with that why why am i angry at 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 michael lewis for for what he's doing and i don't really care yeah he's a he's a journalist there he's a journalist for one he's not the director of fucking gladiator the least accurate movie about rome ever made it's been yeah. a great it's been a great week for like weird old guys who <laughs> we could argue had pe- have peaked creatively although i wouldn't say that for scorsese but there was a great quote that was floating around in the last couple of days where i guess scorsese said on uh the killers of the flower moon press tour that he was like always worried about running out of time and he never knew what his last movie would be mm-hmm. and ridley scott was asked to like react to that and he said since he started killers of the flower moon i've made four films no i don't (laughs) think about it i get up in the morning and say ah great another day of stress uh honestly those are both completely valid answers i i yeah yeah. i refuse to be a part of some sort of like pretending that that what what scott is saying isn't as valid as what scorsese is saying there are two ways to deal with mortality one of them the is two genders of creative mortality yeah, yeah yeah one is oh my god i will die and i won't have said everything i need to say and the other is what the fuck i got i got shit to do i gotta move i gotta <laughs> have time busy. to answer this fucking question yeah meanwhile robert paul schrader is on facebook and paul schrader is posting about taylor swift in a kind mm-hmm. of horny way so like yeah the old men are just they're on one this week and michael lewis walks among them there's only one old great creative who has taken the reasonable response like answer to mortality and it's john carpenter who's like nah i'm done directing movies i'm gonna get high play video games watch basketball the rest of my life and god bless (laughs) god bless him yeah god bless him there's a man who understands what's valuable in life a thing that sam bankman freed never understood and we're back and we're back yeah we're back so one of the things that comes up a lot in michael lewis's book is he's sort of going into the mind and psyche of sam bankman freed is that sam had this belief that no one ever does anything useful after like age 40 to 45 somewhere around there is the last time you have a useful thought in your entire life which i guess is relevant to our discussion of aging aging powerful men i will say it that that's True of many stand-up comedians, but I yes. can't speak of that outside of that uh, world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's true, especially like once you get really rich, it's yeah. it, it, you tend to like lose complete touch with the world and go insane. You're so right. I, is, I, I, I think that is yeah. somewhat accurate, uh, at least for some creative professions. But Sam is not in a creative profession. And it's actually kind of ridiculous to me, the idea that like people in business after age 40, like Steve Jobs did all of his best shit like well after that point, like his most influential mm-hmm. like like evil things uh and and most like really successful businessmen are just kind of getting started by their mid 40s right because it yeah. takes that much time you to hear get that Zuckerberg, momentum you've got yeah. a lot of evil left you, to you got do, a lot of horrible boy. things left to do <laughs> you, plenty of time your worst to... is in front of you i think he's got three to five ethnic cleansings in a minimum oh, minimum God. jamie yeah 
Maybe yeah. eight, you know? I could see him having eight more ethnic, ethnic cleansings. He does seem like someone who just will, like, have a Kissinger-like affinity for life. <laughs> yeah. So, Bankman Freed's, I understand, belief that, like, after age 45, he's not going to be capable of having any useful ideas. This is what pushed him, you know, along with his effective altruist idea. This is why he felt like he had to, he had to continually gamble rather than, like, taking the slow, sustainable path, making money off of his exchange at, like, a reasonable pace. No, no, no. I only have a few more years left before my brain shrivels up. And so, if I'm going to do anything good for the world, I have to keep putting every dollar I've made on a 50-50 bet uh, endlessly, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not Which is like, I don't know, you should probably get help if you feel that about the world because that's a deeply self-destructive way to think about yourself and about your assets. This is a big part of why FTX did not have a really crucial thing for any company, particularly a financial company to have, which is a risk officer, right? A risk mm-hmm. officer's job is to analyze the deals the company's doing and go, well, that's an insane risk, so let's not let's not do that one. Um, or, you know, that's an insane risk. We need to offset it with this stuff. They also mm-hmm. did not have a chief financial officer or a bunch of other critical executive positions. Really? That any, yeah, okay. they had no CFO. Like, that's, one I've, that's one I've heard of. Mm-hmm. You should have that one. It's a really basic job, and its job is basically to know how much money you have, right? Like, there's other right. stuff to it, but it's pretty critical. FTX also did not have a board of directors, and they're lacking a bunch of other very basic executive positions. And a big part of why is that the only people Sam feels like he can trust are, like, his friends. And he has this deep aversion to bringing in adults, like people who are not in their 20s, like his the friends he went to college with and shit. He said in one interview with my Michael, we tried having some grown-ups, but they didn't do anything. This was true for everyone over the age of 45. All they did was worry. Which, like, again, given what happened, perhaps they ought to have been. Maybe I'm just, like, sort of on one with the idea that very few stand-ups have a valuable thought after 45. Mm -hmm. But I would say now, reflecting on it, like, Sam Bankman-Fried is using the improv troupe approach mm-hmm. to a very high-stakes business. Yes. Like, he's like, no, I will only work with people I went to college with. Mm-hmm. We know best. I don't want yeah. no fucking crusties in the room. Like, if he, I mean, and we could we could debate all day about whether Sam Bankman-Fried would have done more evil in his life so far or in his life as an, uh, an improv comedian, because I think they should all be in forever jail. So oh, yeah, it's kind no, of like, it's no. difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. We, this is what Leavenworth should be, right? The military needs to take stand-up comedians into custody. I've always I said mean, that. I'm on a lot of lists. Yeah. <laughs> you know how many bars I've performed in to know people? I'm on a lot of lists. So Sam's response when he was asked by Michael, like, why, why don't you guys even have a CFO? That seems important. Uh, he says, there's a functional religion around the CFO. I'll ask them, why do I need one? Some people cannot articulate a single thing the CFO is supposed to do. They'll say, keep track of the money or make projections. And I'm like, what the fuck do you think I do all day? You think I don't know how much money we have? Which is funny because his his whole legal defense in court was I had no idea how much money we had or where it was. (laughs) Like, And that's why I didn't commit a crime, right? Because I just was incompetent. I just didn't know where the money was, but it's all somewhere. Like, very silly Uh thing to say given what he's about to say. Okay. So... After Sam's life fell apart, Michael Lewis continued to talk and visit multiple – he sometimes would call like three or four times a day Jeez. through the eight months that Sam was on house arrest. And it's interesting to me because like 
Michael, if I was a journalist like Michael Lewis, and I had had a conversation with somebody when they were one of the biggest names in an industry being like, a CFO is useless. I know where the money is. And then their entire life explodes because they didn't know what the money is. I would mm-hmm. at one, some point ask them the question, hey, was that maybe a bad idea? <laughs> um, Michael does not bring this up to Sam after the collapse in any of the dozens of conversations that they've had. And in fact, and this is why that's weird, the actual villain of his book, Going Infinite, the one person that Lewis is super critical of in like a really uncharitable way is yeah. the CEO brought in to take over the FTX after Sam like leaves and declares bankruptcy. A guy named John Ray III. Now- okay. I am not going to go to bat for John Ray the 3rd because he is he's John he's his name is John Ray the 3rd. So you know he's say, up to something evil. I was like that's evil, a difficult right? name to go to bat for. Yeah. yeah. But he is you know he's the guy who got brought in to liquidate uh Enron and He's he's a kind of a corporate undertaker, right? When a when there's a huge scandal at a company, when it like collapses, goes into bankruptcy, and you need someone to kind of do the postmortem, you bring in John Ray, and he he's like, as far as I know, and not the first or second. No, not the first or second. Those guys are useless. No, fucking clowns. Okay, you're gonna yeah, want to bring in the you, third. Okay. You need a Jr. Three. I'm with you. <laughs> so. Nightmare. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like the degree to which he he has because this guy comes in later, and I think because he's boring, Michael Lewis finds him disgusting. Like I I haven't run into any info that he's like bad at what he does. It's certainly not his fault. But Michael is livid because he's this kind of like stodgy old businessman, and he doesn't understand Sam's special playground or like the wonderful thing that he built, and he's just kind of exasperated at how badly it all works see that's fascinating to me because to me that says like michael lewis is uh, i mean either just hates boring people which fair enough but you know he should know as a journalist that boring people are often and maybe most often tremendously capable of of doing bad shit but it seems like he's looking more for like well bradley cooper can't play you in a movie you're useless to me you're garbage you're boring there's nothing yeah there's nothing sexy about him he's just trying to deal up like clean up after a disaster. And there's some really funny lines in the book because like one of the things that Lewis has to do in order to kind of defend Sam as a genius is explain how he didn't steal $9 billion, right? And the answer that Lewis has come to is that money is all there, that he just didn't know where $9 billion was. Oh. Yeah, he didn't steal it or gamble it away. He just misplaced it due to rank incompetence that mm-hmm. he committed because he was too smart to keep track of things. And there's a I'm going to read you a very uh uh <laughs> yeah, there's a, a a really fun quote there. He describes like Lewis describes FTX as a real business, but he says that John Ray, who like attacked it as the worst run company he'd ever seen, was just too much of an idiot to like understand it. Right? Um, mm-hmm. He describes Ray trying to figure out what company assets actually existed and what di- uh, didn't, as quote, like an amateur archaeologist who had stumbled upon a previously unknown civilization, unable to learn anything about its customs or language. He just started digging. Right. Like he's too dumb to understand the brilliant thing that Sam built up. So he just starts like churning about in the wreckage uh, without really appreciating everything that went into making this monumental (sighs) edifice. And I really wonder like what I mean, this is like getting into the weeds a little bit, but I'm very curious, like what like who on Michael Lewis's editorial team is keeping him in check? 
It doesn't sound like he's hired a fact he's, checker. It he's doesn't too sound big. like he has a personal Jiminy Cricket. So he's just saying shit. Like his yeah. personal biases couldn't be more out. They wanted to rush this thing out so you don't have much time to edit it, That's right? That's true, yeah. A, a year to write and release a book is not a long time. No. Not enough time, one might, one might not, argue. Not enough time, one might argue. And also Michael Lewis has the kind of clout to, to make that not happen. Right. And it, again, I also kind of think that his hatred of Ray here is based on the fact that Ray did not fall for Sam's bullshit the way Michael did, right? Mm. He, here's what Ray said shortly after taking over and getting a look at FTX's finances. And this is from an article in Business Insider. At the hearing, Congresswoman Ann Wagner of Missouri asked Ray to elaborate on the specific ways FTX was worse than, quote, one of the largest corporate frauds in history. Ray explained that FTX was unusual and that it had no record keeping whatsoever. He he said that employees would exchange invoices and expenses on Slack, the ubiquitous workplace chat room. They used QuickBooks, he added, referring to the accounting software. QuickBooks, Congresswoman Wagner asked for clarification. QuickBooks, very nice tool, not for a multi-billion dollar company, Ray confirmed. And that's like, <laughs> basically, they're using the kind of thing that you would use if you're like a person keeping track of you or maybe your small right. business is accounting. Like, right? Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> and uh, like that, that's nuts. Yeah, that is like the closest thing I've attitude. come to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, that's the closest thing I've come to to being like, wow. If I was also tasked with multi-billion dollars, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, QuickBooks. Well, do we go to I, TurboTax? What do we do? I would. But it's like I hire would. a CFO, maybe. Yeah, I would hire yeah. someone who's done that before, right? Yeah, yeah. QuickBooks. Holy shit. Yeah. So you can decide whose interpretation sounds more realistic. John Ray recognize you can basically the two possibilities are like either John Ray just recognizes basic incompetence when he sees it and gets angry, or he's just not brilliant and special enough to to understand Sam's world, which is is what that's no. what Michael Lewis that's he in caps that's what Michael Lewis refers to FTX as is Sam's world, right? This is uh he he basically treats the whole situation as like yeah Sam's Sam lived in this magical world. Um, and, you know, his business was actually secretly good, but it, it encountered this temporary issue and he was forced out. And then John Ray came in and he tore it all apart because he's just the mean old grumpy businessman. Right. That's that's really like the thrust of Michael Lewis's book. Um, and part of how he kind of emphasizes the magical inner world Sam lived in is this kind of obsession with gaming, returning to like. Lewis is just sort of fascinated with like the fact that Sam was an addict, right? Sam is a gaming addict. That's what when you can't like handle your basic functions because you're too busy playing storybook brawl, that's an addiction, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting, both because Storybook Brawl was made by his childhood friend and he used co consumer funds to purchase it. Um, one, it, it, it seems to have been a pretty mid game. It shut down after he got arrested. So I can't play it to tell you if it's actually good. But mm -hmm. Lewis doesn't describe it as like a middle brow app game. He describes it as like better than chess, like more complex than chess, uh, a, a greater intellectual expert ex, uh, or exercise than chess. Um, and he writes this paragraph about it. Sam didn't care for games like chess where the players controlled everything and the best move was in theory perf perfectly calculable. Chess he'd have liked better if robot voices wired into the board hollered rule changes at random intervals. Knights are now rooks. All bishops, bishops must leave the board. Pawns can now fly or almost anything so long as the new rule forced all players to scrap 
whatever strategy they'd been pursuing and improvise another, better one. The, the game Sam loved allowed for only partial knowledge of any situation. Trading crypto was like that. And I, this I is think, getting fucking ridiculous. Like, is there any yeah. chance that Sam Bankman Fried paid Michael Lewis to say this shit? Like, I maybe I don't, I don't know that understand. he would still have the money. I, one I mean, of the things, not that there's no proof that he isn't dense, yeah. uh, but this is like above and beyond. the The reason why I get that a lot, the like, well, Michael Lewis was obviously bribed, but like. Michael Lewis is very rich. Like, I don't know how you could bribe right. Michael Lewis, especially after you lose your money. Yeah, um, and even if and even if he wasn't from money, he'd be yeah, rich. Yeah, yeah. He he's always been rich and always will be. So I don't know how much I think that's that's likely. I think he just this is his first time ever hearing about games, and so he thinks Sam is brilliant and special because he he played them obsessively. I also think you know, we just did our episodes on Lord John Aspinall, who was like this this British mm -hmm. gambling maven who took away, who like basically uh, uh, got the upper class of the England in like the mid-century to just gamble away all of their fucking money. And a big part of why this kind of like old generation of the aristocracy lost so much is they were into these specifically games of chance like Shamanda Fair, which is a kind of Baccarat, where basically there's no skill involved it's pure it's as close to pure chance as possible because there was this like change in the kind of gambling the upper class like to do that i've heard theorized is basically just like well these people had nothing in their life but gambling right they've always mm -hmm. been rich they're born rich they've always lived these super safe lives the only thrill they had was throwing a bunch of money on like the, effectively a complete chance I'll and i never understand that cuz it's like what what's the worst that's going to happen you're going to become marginally less rich but still maintain the same yeah. quality of life that sounds boring yeah, you've just they've they they are just insulated from anything thrilling because they're insulated from any real danger, right? Yeah. And so I, I think Sam being this kind of rich sheltered kid, that's I Lewis interprets as like he's too smart to play a game like chess. He wants a game where he doesn't actually know what's going on and a lot of it's random. It's like, well, I just see these old British gamblers in Sam Bankman Freed, where again, this kid has nothing but the throw of the dice inside him and and that's what he liked, right? right. Like and he put a lot of other people's money on those bets. Yeah, anyway, this is a little beside the point, but I, I did want to read the actual part of the book where Lewis describes Magic the Gathering because it's, it is very boomer. No. Okay. Magic had been created in the early 1990s by a young mathematician named Richard Garfield. It was the first kind of a new kind of game, designed, perhaps, for a new kind of person. Garfield had started with an odd question. Could a strategic game be designed that allowed the players to come to it with different equipment? And again... Games Workshop had started making Warhammer years before Magic came out. Like all games Sorry, like this I have existed forever. Like I couldn't hear you over the sound of imagining Garfield the cat saying that. Yeah, which Garfield? Which Garfield? Bill Murray? Or are we talking Chris Pratt? There's also a secret third Garfield. Garfield, whoever did the voice acting on Garfield and Friends, which is my sure. canonical Garfield voice. Yeah. Certainly not Chris Pratt Garfield. There, I forget who tweeted this, but there, there is a vibe with the new Garfield that Chris Pratt has been locked in a room, forced to voice every uh, major IP. It's like a, it, it's his infinity punishment. He'll be rich, but he can never leave the room. I'm okay with that, actually. Yeah, let's keep him in the room. He yeah, doesn't have any good keep ideas. No. <laughs> no, keep him in the room. Every every six years, he can come out to do another interminable Jurassic World movie. <laughs> 
No, the villain was Locust. <laughs> <laughs> so Lewis is so ignorant of kind of the basics of youth culture to this day that he sort of transposes a lot of completely normal millennial and Zoomer behaviors as evidence of Sam's unique brilliance. Here's another clip from 60 Minutes where he describes how Sam treated effective altruism that, that ties into this. And this is remarkable. Mm-hmm. What it means in Sam's instance is you can go out and have a career where you do good. You can go be a doctor in Africa, or you can go out and make as much money as possible and pay people to be doctors in Africa. If you're a doctor in Africa, you, get, you end up saving a certain number of lives, but you're only one doctor. But if you can pay 40 people to become doctors in Africa, you're going you're gonna to save 40, 40 times the number of lives. This is like a strategy game. Well, you don't understand Sam Bankman-Fried unless you understand that he turns everything into a game. Right. Everything is gamified. He's describing a pyramid scheme of doctors. Yes, yes. Am I, am I wrong? Like, yes. And he's saying this on 60 Minutes. I like, I cannot put, wrap my, okay, now I'm like taking him being paid off, like, or paid on or off, off the table because you're just like, this is ridiculous to This is light too your, stupid. Yeah. Remor- like to light the fact that people somehow collectively forgot that you wrote the blind side on fire to say this shit on 60 minutes. It just like is, it's, what? <laughs> he's describing a pyramid scheme. He sure is. He is describing a fucking pyramid scheme. And also like, uh, it, it, this whole he turns everything into a gay like like because the the through He's line like, the, oh, the Sam connection there is, is that like jigsaw for good he yeah, wants sure to play sam could have been a doctor in africa but by making a lot of money he could hire a bunch of doctors in africa and the through line you're meant to make is he was a he was the guy who was best suited making a lot of money because he turned everything into a game and Man, that's, again, not unique to Sam. A a significant percentage of the U.S. economy is based around taking the logic and addictive strategies game developers use and applying it to every imaginable industry, right? Like, that's fucking everywhere. Like, Sam is, again, not unique in this. And also the... It's just such a the fact that Lewis seems to have bought into the basic logic of, like, well, it's better to pay a bunch of doctors than becoming one is silly because, like... Well, we have a shortage of doctors. We don't have a shortage of assholes who gamble with other people's money. There's there's not actually enough doctors for the people who need them. And also, I mean, to that point, it doesn't sound like, um, would I trust knowing what I do of Sam Bankman-Fried's ability to multitask that, would I trust him doing surgery? No. I don't think I would. I no, don't I, think I would. I, I wouldn't trust I don't him think doing he would either be of those doctor things. In Africa. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he would. He would never have. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah. And, and, anyway, but it sounds like he. I mean, maybe I'm like you know giving him too much credit, and he's playing a game of forty chess. But it doesn't seem that way. And I, I like he sounds ridiculous. I, I kind of outside of he's just completely deluded. His two options are he's just so out of touch with the youth that he thought Sam was unique in this, or he 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 decided from the moment he met him this is the framing device i want to use for sam's genius in my book because i can th- i think they could film it easily right because i'm sure right. he thinks that way about the books he's written he's had so many of them adapted and like yeah if i it, you know there's a lot of fun ways you could film this super genius solving his his math problems through like imagining games out in the real world right mhm yeah, so I, I, my, my guess is that he just couldn't get himself off of this idea he had for like the inevitable Sam Bankman Freed movie 
you know, crafted for the Big That's Bang Theory the audience. Yeah, like yeah. Where he's already he's like, oh yeah, who's hot right now? Paul Mescal yeah. will 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 dye his hair. It's gonna be fucking great. No, I think they should have had Timothy Chalamet. I think they should have had Timothy, Timothy Chal- Chalamet do like a um. You know, what's I his just, name? The the Batman guy where he would like wildly change his appearance in ways that are bad for his health every six no, months no, for a movie. No, no, Don't talk about Robert Pattinson that way. I am or, not no, talking, talking about Christian no, Bale. No, I'm talking about Christian, talking about Christian Bale. Bale. I yeah, want to see yeah. Timothy well, Chalamet do way. a Christian Bale to look like Sam Bankman Freed. That's that sounds fun. I just worry about Timothy Chalamet. It looks like if you like touch him, he may shatter. I just worry about him. He looks so frail. Yeah, that's the right. <laughs> he looks like he's got consumption. Yeah, like, they, like that. They would say sick. that about him in the in the in the in the distant past. Yeah, and it's like if Sam Bankman Fried is looking hardier than you are, like you're in trouble, my man. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that about Sam, but. So oh, okay. there's an amusing coda to Lewis's loving descriptions of Sam as a compulsive gamer. This paragraph occurs right after the FTX customers pull a run on the bank, annihilating its cash reserves and starting its collapse. As like the employees are all huddled inside their $30 million Bahamas suites to try oh, no. to figure out how to fix things. Nishad was agitated with Sam in a way that Romnick had never seen. At one point, turning to, on him and screaming, will you please fucking stop playing storybook brawl? <laughs> And I like that anecdote, but it gets to another frustrating issue with Going Infinite, which is that Michael Lewis has all of the ingredients for a, mo- a great modern Icarus story of hubris and the fall, but making it work tonally would require him to see these things that are obvious warning signs as warning signs and structure his book that way, right? And then right. you get some catharsis in the payoffs. But these warning signs are just sort of scattered around. They don't, they're not given the significance he would give them if he saw them as warning signs because he's clearly right. taken with all of this stuff. Another example of a valid through line Lewis seems to have missed is Bankman Freed's complete disregard, even distaste, for the competence of the women around him. Lewis spends a a fair amount of time on Sam's relationship with Carolyn, and he reprints these letters between them that certainly don't make Sam look great. It began with a seriously compelling list titled Arguments Against. This is Arguments Against Her Dating Him. In a lot of ways, I don't really have a soul. This is a lot more obvious in some contexts than others. But in the end, there's a pretty decent argument that my empathy is fake. My feelings are fake. My facial reactions are fake. I don't feel happiness. What's the point in dating someone you physically can't make happy? I have a long history of getting bored and claustrophobic. This has the makings of a time when I'm less worried about it than normal. But the baseline prior might be high enough that nothing else matters. I feel conflicted about what I want. Sometimes I really want to be with you sometimes i want to stay at work for 60 hours straight and not think about anything else and so i want to say that i have the amount of self-love to not fall for this but i can't even say that 100 no. percent. i just really feel for carolyn at a lot of points in this story because it's oh my god i really like I, I feel like there's a version of someone who who would um be like oh I yeah. can fix him where you're like, oh, no, this is like it's like well, tween fiction of like I, there's only one. And she loves tween fiction. I know. I know. She's at a disadvantage. And, and it's it's difficult because like Lewis come, discusses kind of Sam's inability to be like functional with the people in his life because like and he he clearly has a thing like he he, he lets he funds another st- uh another exchange by another woman in crypto who he tries to date uh, women in crypto like, yeah he, he's got this kind of thing going on but lewis kind of always writes off his 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 behavior as like well 
you know, he just, he was too depressed. He was too, he, he can't, fo- he's too brilliant to like be it's in a, a tra- torture genius playbook of just like, oh, and he's horrible to women, but only because his yeah. mind is blah, 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 blah. Like there's, I mean, they did the same. This happens every yeah. 10 years. Like that happened with Zuckerberg. They're like, no, he's a, like, he's a rampant misogynist because like his business started off of misogyny because he just had so many good ideas that it was like pressing on the woman respect, uh, like nerve. It's ridiculous. Kind of meanwhile, when, when Lewis is describing like why Carolyn did what she did, he, he includes the line where she's like, he's like, he quotes someone as saying she would throw away all of her principles to be loved. Like she's the only one of the effective altruist kids who doesn't really believe in it. She's just so desperate for, uh, for, for affection that she would like do anything for it, which like, I don't know, like, I don't know the person, but it's, it's weird that Lewis is so cynical about her and so full of excuses for Sam. I would have I would have a fair amount of uh, guesses as to why that may be, uh, yeah. and the way that it seems like in many ways that you know Lewis has seen himself in Sam, and like if you're especially if you're used to like writing profiles of very successful eccentric people, which he is, yeah. if if this is the precedent you've set for the kind of behavior that you would excuse, such as clear racism or sexism. Why would this be any different? Like it's it yeah. ugh, it it fucking it's, sucks. And then also on the other end of Carolyn being characterized as this like desperate for affection person, I I, I try to like tap into that of like God if any of my personal correspondence came out, I'd be fucking cooked. Oh, like, it would be this devastating. Is like so yeah. many people, and it's Anyone like she's being would. singled That's out. The thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, everyone's desperate for affection. So you know, anytime you see Lewis writing about Sam, he writes in kind of the terms Sam as one of the people in this weird effective altruism cult. He uses terms like he talks about his priors, which is like it, 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 it's a way of like bringing Bayesian mathematics into personal decisions. And all you all you're saying when you're saying like, well, these are my priors, is like. Well, this is the shit I believe without any kind of evidence, right? That's that's largely what that means. These are like my my pre-existing biases. But sure. saying pre-existing biases like doesn't sound as smart as my priors. And likewise, Sam would always talk about like, well, every decision I make is like a mathematical decision and I calculate what's the expected value of this outcome versus this outcome and then I do the thing with the highest expected value, right? Which is another way of saying I do whatever will make me feel good, which is, you know, a lot of us are like that a lot of the time. That's human nature. We are we are uh, uh, creatures of comfort in a lot of ways. Yeah. But there's Sam is just dressing up selfishness um, in lines like this. Sam wanted to do whatever at any given moment offered the highest expected value, and his estimate of her, Carolyn's expected value, seemed to peak right before they had sex and plummet immediately after. And like, oh. that's no different than a lot of guys in their twenties. That's right. not special. It just sounds like, like a fucking guy. Oh, there so you're saying he got horny and then he didn't care about her afterwards? Like, well, that's not special. Like how? I, I I can't relate. Wow. Yeah, there, that's, there is... that's not just millions of men. That's millions of people. <laughs> like... It's so, I mean, even just outside of his relationships with women and his relationship with Carolyn, I don't know. It, it gives me sort of like Mensa PTSD where there is this like 
two-hander where it's either uh, you can't understand what I'm doing because I am a super genius and you are not operating on my level. You could never understand why I am fucking up at this tremendous rate. And then if they're challenged enough, it's like, well, actually, I'm, you know, it. it, uh, I don't know the correct way to like characterize this, but it almost becomes like internet speak where it's like, no, I'm actually just like, I don't give a shit. It's actually, I'm using QuickBooks because I don't yeah. give a fuck. It's like either yeah. I am a genius or I don't care. And there's nothing in between. And it's like the, what is in between is just the fact that they're uh, full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know who else is full of shit? Nope. Um, <laughs> time to head to ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, boy, I sure do love ads. Those were some good ones. So 
Yeah, so we're back. We're talking about Sam Bankman-Fried's issues with women, as chronicled by Michael Lewis, who does, to his credit, make a point of noting that all of the company's moves as CEO from U- the U.S. to Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong to the Bahamas were prompted by, like, he he and Ellison would have some big relationship conversation, and she would say, like, I want to have a closer relationship, and then he would move the entire company without telling anybody, which, again, Weird. like, the instant you hear that anecdote, you're like, oh, well, this guy... There's nothing. This guy is not a super genius. Like this guy is is just a he's a, just a, 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 a guy kind of can't avoid like deal with confrontation. Like yeah, that's not yeah. special. Again, yeah. millions of us out every, there. Every 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 uh, conflict avoidant person has their approach. It knows no yeah. gender, but it yeah. skews towards one. Yeah. My last boyfriend bought an upright bass. That was how. That was, <laughs> <laughs> bless his so, heart. I don't May think he rot. Yeah. <laughs> the real shame here is that I don't think Lewis draws any sort of connection between how Sam treats the women at his company and how like Sam treats adults with the specialized financial knowledge that might have saved his company because uh-huh. there is a relate like I, I'm not trying to discount his misogyny which is certainly a thing but like I think the bigger through line with Sam that is present outside of just his dealing with like the women that he was in relationships with and worked with is that Sam doesn't think anyone besides him has worthwhile thoughts or ideas and that anything he doesn't understand (laughs) is not worth paying attention to which Mm -hmm. is a big thing in tech guys right this attitude that like you're seeing it now with these ai freaks where they're they don't think that there's any value in the human creation of art because they don't understand it like they're willing to like have an ai just like come up with some crap that's vaguely patterned off of it of a historical see isn't this picture of like you know isolation and anomie in modern society better now that we've turned it into a bunch of friends having brunch outside of a cafe look it's much brighter yeah. now and prettier it's like no that's not the point of the art you don't understand but like they don't yeah it's this thing do you thing. think that I'm a computer so- could come up with the image of Paul Walker and Brian the dog in a convertible? No, that's a uniquely human artistic exactly. instinct. Only that's the we would understand it. <laughs> Only humans would get it. This idea that like I am smart and therefore if I don't understand something, it's not important, right? It's it's something for like people who are less than me to deal with. This is why the company fell apart. And it's interesting to me that like Lewis, he clearly does see aspects of how Sam treats women unfairly, but he doesn't make any sort of leaps between the way Sam treats like everybody who's not him. And I find that interesting. I do too. Yeah, yeah. Good, good stuff. So perhaps the biggest major through line in Going Infinite is Michael Lewis not getting the joke. That section where he quotes SBF explaining why CFOs are dumb is a perfect example. On a casual reading, you might even assume that we were supposed to find the line, what do you think I do? What the fuck do you think I do all day? Do you think I don't know how much money we have? Funny, because Sam did not know how much money they had. Of course not. But at the not. climax of the book, after FTX has crumbled, Lewis goes into detail to discuss all the money that was required covered by John Ray. Quote, at the end the of third? June 20- Yeah, the third. At no! the end of June 2023, John Ray had filed a report on his various collections. To date, the debtors have recovered approximately $7 billion in liquid assets, he wrote, and they anticipate additional recoveries. $7.3 billion to be exact. Ray was inching towards an answer to the question I'd been asking from the day of the collapse. Where did all that money go? The answer was nowhere. It was still there. And that's not true. The reason he's writing this is that earlier in Sam's career, a bunch of people leave Alameda because he loses $4 million. 
and they think that he's lost $4 million in investor money, and he's a dick about it, and later they find it. Like, he had just misplaced it, basically. Mm. Um, And so, Lewis is being like, that's just what happened. They they were never really in bankruptcy. See, it was a good business. Like, they just didn't have any record-keeping, so they lost the money. And this meanie John Ray thinks it's bad to lose several billion dollars. But what Lewis is saying is not true. He is kind of lying here. Um, Maybe he just, maybe it's an honest mistake. I don't know, but it's not accurate because for for one thing, seven ish, seven point three billion has been found. Almost nine billion is missing. So that's one and a half billion dollars unaccounted for still. That's still one of the largest financial frauds in history, that's right? Significant. That's what I maybe mean, as even much as two billion, yeah. Just even if you're trying to get through to someone who knows nothing about finance, the second number, the missing number, is bigger than the first <laughs> than one. The number like, that's not and, good. Well, he he tries to cut, close that hole by being like, and a lot of that money is in these, you know, money they paid to these companies that they'll probably get back. And it's like, why would you think that? A lot well, of that money went to other shady crypto people who don't bank in the U.S. Why do you think the money's going to come back? Well, see, this is interesting because now, ugh, I, I feel I feel bad because I know Michael Lewis is not the bastard of the episode. However, uh, he's if kind we're of applying that, yeah. Sam, if we're applying Sam Bankman Fried's theory that you do not do any valuable work after forty five, that may in fact apply to, to Michael, to Michael Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> like sounds like maybe he's lost the thread because yeah. it's uh, the way that he's talking about money. And I mean, and I have not read this book. I but have. What you're Don't just, worry. Uh, <laughs> that's why they pay you the big bucks. But like to to hear how he talks about money in this book and to know that his most famous works have to do with finance, with the yeah. exception of, of the uh, of the blind side, which everyone forgets that he wrote, like it calls his entire body of work into question. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, just the the ridiculousness of being like, well, look, guys, seven, you know, uh, they've recovered seven billion out of nine point three billion. So things are basically good. Like, that's insane. But also, as we'll get to later, he is he that even that doesn't tell the whole truth. Like this idea that everyone's going to get their money back is not true. But Lewis, in order to continue believing that Sam was a super genius, he has to have this kind of tragic story where like he didn't really lose the money. It was a misunderstanding. It's all unfair. Mm -hmm. And because he needs to believe this, I think for the sake of his own ego, bringing up the fact that there's a lot of money missing is a really easy way to piss him off. And I'm going to play you this clip. It's the most revealing clip that I found. And this is from an interview he did with a on a YouTube channel called Intelligence Squared after the FTX collapse, like after his book came out. So while Sam is on trial, basically. Okay. 7.3 7.3 billion. So it's 1.3 billion that's missing. Plus, it, and they said there's still it's a more huge to be found. Number. Hold on. And it's more than that. It's more than on? that. This is where it, t- today, today, the prosecution, the prosecution sent a motion to the court saying, can we please not talk about the possibility that customers are all going to get their money back? And, the, and, and that in particular, can we, you going to let me finish? I am. You want, uh, do you come care? on, I've Wait, got one I, I need to let them in. Oh my God. I think what I care you about care. is the fact that at the very least, you thought it was he's important, extraordinary. But now you don't I, think no, it's I do think it's important. I think at the very least, he's irresponsible. Of course. He's, I'm not saying he's not irresponsible. I'm saying it's just different than you think. 
Okay. Okay. A few observations. First of all, to pay. Second of all, <laughs> uploaded for. <laughs> Second... <laughs> that is a toupee, right? His hair does not look real. The colors, it's not giving matching color. Second observation, upload date four weeks ago. Gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Third observation, obviously, he, he cuts off yeah. a woman uh, aggressively to be wrong. And then finally, it just the because the listeners cannot see the size of that venue it uh, gave me a brief like it i felt it in my stomach to be like wow that many people will gather to be to see michael lewis just spew bullshit and yet 15 oh, people so show up to watch me butt chug a quart of milk it's hey, ridiculous yeah jamie though here's the thing this is the difference between you know, it's the, the same. The, the cultural this is the difference between is the same. what I call vulgar art, which is the stuff that will be forgotten, you know, within a generation, <laughs> and immortal art, right? Like the Parthenon, you know, <laughs> you butt chugging the contents of Infinite Jest was a Parthenon level work of art. It will be oh, with us in ten thousand years. Time misunderstood. Yeah. It's Just time. like the Parthenon, <laughs> he's in like a fucking cathedral, though. I mean, it that does is look like, like yeah, he's in. And I, venue. Sophie, can you bring? up a freeze frame of his face at, at like 12:57 in that because he is doing an I think you should leave face like he is he is almost a perfect character for one of those fucking sketches <gasps> oh, Tim Robinson <laughs> could do this oh, God. Tim Robinson yes. could do an amazing job of this there's that sketch from the recent season where he's being like an on-air pundit who like gets mm. on his phone and gets real quiet whenever he loses an argument that like yeah, Lewis that, is that definitely is doing that kind of face in this God. That, that oh right God, there that where he's like, he's got his hand. Yeah. <laughs> That's, he's doing a Tim Robinson. Like, he's really, oh boy. It's and, so And I'm funny. doubling down on my two, on the toupee theory. Uh-huh. I'm right. Yeah. No, that hair right. does not move the way hair does. I can't see his teeth well enough to see if we've got the, if we've got the veneers to match, but. Uh, he's too yeah. rich to not have veneers. I I aspire yeah. to veneers. That's I so, just want to have exactly that much money. I wanted to play how angry he gets there because we're going to address the actual facts of his claim now. Even okay. if you take Lewis at his his word, which is that it's basically fine because they recovered seven point three out of like nine point three billion dollars. He's mm-hmm. obs- he's obfuscating the truth. It is accurate that Ray has announced FTX customers will see ninety percent of every dollar of recovered assets returned. Which I would still call that problematic because if somebody stole ten percent of your bank account, you'd be kind of miffed. Um, but that is even not what it seems like. And I'm quoting from Investopedia here. To be clear, the 90% number refers to the funds FTX is able to gain access to rather than total customer deposits at the time of the exchange's collapse. That doesn't necessarily mean customers will gain access to 90% of their assets that were left on the exchange. Rather, customers will gain access to 90% of the funds FTX is able to distribute to their creditors. FTX and FTX US had an estimated $8.7 billion combined shortfall uh, by the time the crypto firm filed for bankruptcy. Roughly 6.9% uh, roughly $6.9 billion of that shortfall, including a Bahamas real estate portfolio, has been recovered. Let's consider Bitcoin, the largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization, as a uh, capitalization as a proxy for the broader cryptocurrency markets. On November 11th of last year, the petition date, Bitcoin was trading at around 17000 On Friday, it crossed 30000 So simply put, if the current plan goes through, you'd likely get 85% of the dollar value of your cryptocurrency held on FTX as of last November, even if the same coins have almost doubled in value today. 
So mm-hmm. one of those, like both, he's he's kind of o- overestimating the amount that they're going to get back, and also because they lost, like they still lost access to that money for it'll probably turn out to be two or three years. Like people have had to right. sell their homes and shit because like they had all of their money. Like that, there's harm here, right? That's what the courts are taking. Not only is there still money missing and not an insignificant amount, but like mm-hmm. people suffered in the interim where they didn't have access to their money. And yeah, they're crypto gamblers. I'm not. This isn't the most sympathetic population. But that is not sure. relevant to determining whether or not Sam has legal. He's stealing right. 15 or 20 percent of a bunch of people's savings accounts is right. a substantial crime. The like, legal question is, is it a scam? Which, yeah. like, yes, you know, and, and I'm sure that like everyone who and understandably, mm-hmm. because I, I walk amongst them, like everyone yeah. who was seeing this happen a couple of years ago up to very recently, were like, yeah, you're. What are you talking about? This yeah. happening is like a very, you know, it's like easy to cheer it on. But it's also like, yeah, no, he, Sam Bankman-Fried was taking yeah. advantage of every possible mark he could. Yeah. And, and yeah, and people are still suffering ongoing harm as a result of it. He's acting like Lewis is acting as if there wasn't really anyone hurt. And it's like, well, no, like even if all of them, which will not happen, at least about 20 percent of that money of, of depositor money is just gone, probably more. Mm-hmm. But even if he hadn't done that, if you're still locked out of your money for two years because a guy illegally gambled with it, are you going to be fine that it came back eventually? No, you you still didn't have that money for years, and that's a problem for you. That's a crime. Right. I mean, and and I and I would be more amenable to that perspective if it was coming from someone who wasn't as like historically fabulously rich as Michael Lewis is because it's like a rich gaming the rich story can be really satisfying but this is not the guy to be making it and he's falling on the wrong side anyways and it's not gaming the rich gaming the rich because like Larry you did they didn't hire Larry David to do a commercial so they could scam billionaires right they hired Larry David to do a commercial so they could scam your mom you know because your mom likes Larry David I'm not saying the rest of us don't I mean, most moms do, right? He's pretty popular amongst the Sound moms. Sound off in the comments. I don't know if my mom knows who. I mean, uh, all the women in my, my family watches, were big Seinfeld uh, fans. Does, so. does your mom watch Curb? Message no, me. No, no, no. But Seinfeld. Oh, my mom. Yeah, yeah, my mom yeah, yeah. My mom watched. Okay, Seinfeld. okay. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. Yeah. So anyway, Michael Lewis. Yeah, it's interesting to me, like the fact that the the fact that. Sam Bankman-Fried stole money from depositors because that's what it is when you take money out of one company illegally and use it to gamble in another company. That's stealing. Michael Lewis never uses the term stolen to describe what Sam did. Um, And he basically goes to great lengths to claim that Sam misplaced all this money. Uh, This is, again, wildly inaccurate. And a a good example of that is Alameda's uh, hashtag fiat account, which is like, that was one of the names for like the account where they were putting all of the actual U.S. dollars that customers put in the exchange. Yeah, so customers okay. would would put U.S. dollars into FTX and then use it to like buy cryptocurrency, right? But those U.S. Mm-hmm. dollars needed to stay in the exchange so that people could cash out their positions, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're not doing legitimately what you're supposed to do as a business. Mm-hmm. FTX was not a bank. A bank is allowed only has to keep a certain amount in reserve, right? Mm-hmm. That's what a reserve currency is. This is an exchange. They were supposed to keep 
enough reserve in there to cover the value of their deposits. Sam instead took all that money and put it into Alameda. Um, and this is, there's evidence that it like never it went directly into Alameda. The money people thought they were depositing into FTX went into another company entirely. Wow. I would call that, and in fact, Sam was convicted because this is ex- an example of fraud. Lewis yeah. depicts it as an honest mistake. And here's the New Yorker, quote, Lewis finds it not only wholly implausible that this was, in fact, a gigantic accounting error explained by FTX's difficulty securing bank accounts. As Lewis concludes, his story, implausible as it sounded, remained irritatingly difficult to disprove. And Lewis very gently insinuates that Ellison, in over her head, might have made some very bad decisions. And in court, which, again, is a couple of weeks after his book comes out, it is proven with data from the company that Sam did not only did not, like, not only knew what he was doing, but he ordered other people to obscure this fact from customers, right? He ordered his employees to hide from customers that their money was going straight into another company. This was proven when they, like, actually during the court case, they had the people who programmed the the exchange on Sam's behalf, like, post-code. And I found it analysis of FTX's code uh, by Molly White, who does a newsletter called Citation Needed, which is quite good. Molly Mm -hmm. knows code and stuff. So here's her analyzing that. Prosecutors questioned Wang, who was the guy who was coding the exchange, about the FTX insurance fund, which was ostensibly supposed to protect both FTX and its customers from trades that went badly even more quickly than the exchange's risk engine could account for. FTX published the fund's supposed balance on their website and bragged widely about its existence, including in testimony to U.S. Congress. However, according to Wang, the number showed on the website was falsified. And the question is like, is this a real number? Wang, no. So it's a fake number? Yes. Was the real number higher or lower than the fake number? Lower. And yeah, the way that they would do this, so like they're supposed to have this insurance fund, which is part of what makes FTX safer than the other exchanges is that we keep, you can't do a run on the bank because our entire, like, like all of our deposits are backed up by cash, right? So we can't collapse the way that other exchanges do. And like to make people feel comfortable, they had they would show them they had like you could see like what the insurance fund was at. They would regularly brag. We have this much money in our insurance fund. It was that number accurate. Like, no, all they were doing. (laughs) So I even asked the code snippet show that like they had Sam ordered Nishad Singh to write some code that would update the insurance fund amount randomly by mm. adding it to the daily trading volume, like the amount of mo- basically they would it would calculate how much has been traded today and yeah. they would multiply that by a random number somewhere around 7,500 and then divide it by a billion. So it would it, This that is way how that, an 11 it, it, year it old just would lying, describe right? how you yeah. do business. They're like, like they, oh, so... <laughs> There was never an insurance, a real insurance fund of any like meaningful amount of money. They just pretended it was there by having a computer do a random equation. So it seemed like it was fluctuating over time. Yeah, that's uh, that's not legal to do. No, no, that's fraud. There, I and I feel like this, like this level of like splitting hairs in the New Yorker wouldn't happen unless the two main players, Michael Lewis and Sam Bankman Fried, weren't tremendously privileged like for any other people you would be like yeah so this was a lie and then this happened like you wouldn't be splitting hairs like this to be fair the the actual thrust of that new yorker article is like michael lewis is what the fuck is happening with this guy because he's clearly fallen for like the the new yorker article is very critical of him it's bringing up that he is not 
calling Sam Bankman free to fucking con man when he clearly is, right? Okay, I, I, so they're the, like, uh, <laughs> headline, Michael Lewis low-key fell off? Yeah, low-key he <laughs> fell off, that's right. <laughs> Molly also brings up something else that was left out of court, the po- but the prosecution published evidence of it, and I found this really telling. Elsewhere mm-hmm. in the code, it's possible to observe that the amount of FTT, which is the token created that represented basically voting shares. It was like, it was FTX's funny money, was actually Mm -hmm. represented by a hard-coded value in the user interface and was not pulling from an external data source to get a real number. So again, they're lying about how much money is in this fund. And part of how you can tell is when you would ask to see the insurance fund, it wouldn't consult back to the servers. It was just, it was doing the calculation on your own machine, right? Which is evidence that, like, there was never any attempt to give people accurate information. Wow. It's fun stuff. There's other fun fun reveals during the court case. Uh, For example, during FTX's days as a functioning business, a lot of crypto people noticed there was a potential conflict of interest between FTX and Alameda. They were like, hey, it seems like you run both these companies and like traders on Alameda are are trading on FTX. Is it possible that they're getting preferential treatment on the exchange that you also owned? There's a, a really telling Twitter conversation on Molly's blog where someone asks this and SBF says, Alameda is the liquidity provider, but their account is just like everyone else's. And the respondent rightfully says, I guess we're just supposed to trust you. And it turned out they were right (laughs) to be worried. One of the chief selling points about FTX is that it's crash proof, right? Crypto exchanges Mm -hmm. have this weird habit, like 20 years old now, of getting really big and then collapsing, taking everyone's money with them. Sometimes this is due to hacks, but also there's a lot of, because there's no regulation, a lot of times major traders will go bust and that causes losses for the whole exchange, which gets socialized, right? Everybody loses money because one bad gambler gambled too much. Mm -hmm. One of FTX's like selling points was that it was different. They had an algorithm to automatically freeze trades on an account once that account had suffered losses equal to the amount of money they'd put in the exchange, right? So you okay. can't lose more money than than you put in is the basic idea. Okay. So that's how it was supposed to work. And that's how it worked initially. But the limit that Alameda had for its gambling to make sure that it couldn't get in over its skis was removed later on Sam Bankman-Fried's orders. And in court, Gary Wang, Sam's business partner, explained how Sam directed them to do this. Wang explained that Alameda had not started out with such a high credit limit, but that periodically the trading firm had run into issues placing trades because they didn't have enough collateral. Sam Bankman-Fried kept asking him to increase their credit limit to prevent it from happening. According to Wang, the limit was originally set to a few million dollars, but then it was increased to a billion. After they ran up against that limit too, Bankman-Fried asked him to set it to a number so large they wouldn't likely hit the limit. At that point, (sighs) Wang set it to around 65 billion. And when I read that, what I see is this is a gambler in Vegas who's like taking out loans to keep gambling because he's run out of money. Like he's like- Yeah, you just imagine like someone like on their knees in like shitty pinstripe pants being like, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah, give me, just give me some credit, man. I'm good for it. But he got up to 65 billion in credit. Yeah, yeah, which is insane. Now, when you pair all this with the stories that SBF tells, that Lewis tells of SBF's gaming addiction, you might conclude, was this kid just a fucking gambling addict? Which is my, by the way, that's my interpretation. I mean, there, 
To me, it sounds like this shit is Neo points to him. Like it really is. Like yeah. if there's anything that got the millennial generation uh, hooked on capitalism and random gambling, it was Neo Pets. Yeah. And uh, if anyone has proof that Sam Bankman-Fried was a Neo Pets user, he just sounds like the worst version of a Neo Pets <laughs> user to me. The worst yeah. end game for a Neopets user is what you've been describing to me for, for several hours. And I think you and I, we're not invested in Sam Bankman-Fried ever being no. particularly smart. So we can see this. No. L- Lewis, He's a Neopets user. L- Lewis and I, I bet I was better at it than him. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. He was never very good at games. Like people found <laughs> his like League of Legends account and were like, yeah, he was mid. Like and I'm oh. sure he wasn't good at storybook brawl, right? Like he's yeah. just, he was never good at this. But, but it was the but, first time that Michael Lewis had heard of storybook yeah, brawl. So, so he Sam Bankman-Fried yeah. said he was the best at it. Why yeah. not believe him? Yeah. And that, just the idea, like, again, Lewis can't be like, yeah, this kid had a gambling problem and he also owned a bank. So it, it became right. everyone's issue. But like, you're He's not, the bank man. It's hard to portray someone as smart if they're just addicted to gambling, right? Because that's not a smart person thing. It actually, a lot of smart people are horrible addicts well, in a variety it, of ways, but like, sure. but it's you like can't, a, it's a serious problem. in a Hollywood way, make it look like somebody's a genius if they just can't control themselves, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a serious, serious problem. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, again, no shame on people who have that problem, but like that, that does not work with how Lewis wants to portray him, right? And yeah, speaking of things that don't work, shit. Everything you're about to advertise. We won't have to work if you purchase these products. Okay, good, good self-correction. Yeah, I, I saved Actually, we'll continue to work. More, yeah. light, more accurate. Yeah, both, both true. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. So, you know, I think it's clear from the stuff that came out in the court case that I just read some of. There's no way Alameda and FTX would have done the things that that I just described if they hadn't meant to disguise the reality of their business from the world, which is fraud, right? The reality is that Sam Bankman-Fried used depositor money to gamble. Um, and he was gambling in part on his own chances. Uh, he wasn't just gambling. This is the thing that is important to understand. Past a certain point, most of his gambling was not him betting on cryptocurrencies, right? The big shit he did that made the news, the billion dollars that he pumped into naming, renaming that stadium in Florida to bringing in all these celebrities to these high-dollar Super Bowl ads, that was a gamble. He was pulling a slot machine on his own chances of ascending to the halls of power, right? Sounds like, like him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite aside bits from the court case is that on the stand, when she was being questioned, Carolyn Ellison told everybody that Sam confided in her, he thought he'd had a 5% chance of becoming president of the United States, which. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but also like, look at some of the dumbasses we've got. He's probably not wrong that he, I mean, he at least could have been like, who is that fucking loser from Starbucks? He could have at least been that. Yeah, he could have. I think he could have had a failed presidential, but no, like, yeah, oh, like, yeah, no, he like could, they're he, all dumb. Like, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are both have both done very stupid things, different kinds of very stupid things, but they both have charisma. A lot of the same, right? That's yeah, true. That's but true. They, 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 but like, like you could again say what you will about Joe Biden, he wouldn't have been in politics this long if he couldn't make enough people like him. And obviously, Donald Trump is very charismatic. Sam Bankman Freed just isn't. Like, you don't become the no. president if you are a void of charisma no we and we've learned that time and time again yeah 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 and that's the thing like he was always all of his 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 sudden rise to public prominence was not based on him actually being interesting it was based on him spending tens of millions of dollars to get like bill clinton to pretend to be his buddy like that was all there ever was to it you know in my general research on the crypto industry and if you're looking for actual good reading don't buy going infinite you won't get anything valuable sure. at it if you do want to get something valuable and a, a deeper understanding about like how grifty this whole industry was and also how Grifty Sam was. There's a book called Number Go Up by Zeke Foe. Zeke mm -hmm. F-A-U-X. Um, really good book, Number Go Up, which I do recommend to people curious for the dark side of crypto. Uh, Zeke also spent time with Sam in the Bahamas, and I found this passage from his book relevant to what I just mentioned. A few hours into our conversation, Bankman Freed told me he had to make a call. I had asked him if there was anyone who'd support his version of events, and he said I could talk with one of his few remaining supporters while I waited. In walked a haughty man with a long, scraggly beard, a potbelly, and mismatched socks, one of them with a Pac-Man design. 
It was an employee of FTX who'd stuck around to help Bankman Freed try to find an investor to rescue the exchange. I threw out an easy question. Why are you still here, I asked. He started off by saying he wanted to help FTX's customers. Then, unprompted, he told me he thought there wasn't much of a risk that Bankman Freed would ever get in trouble. I firmly believe once somebody becomes a certain level of rich, they're never poor again, he said. They don't go to jail. Nothing bad happens to them. Wait, he has what? his own Zuckerberg quote. He has yeah. his own, you can be unethical and still be legal. Yeah. That's the way I live my life. Ha ha. Wait, read it again for me so I can really take it in. Yeah, and, and again, this is, this is Sam's friend who stuck by him after his business collapsed. It I firmly works. believe once somebody becomes a certain level of rich, they're never poor again. They don't go to jail. Nothing bad happens to them. Poetry. Yeah, it's beautiful. Gorgeous. It's a beautiful thing to think in Gorgeous. that moment, too, where all of the smarter people have just fled the island. Like, And in that moment, he was infinite. That yeah. was, wow, wow. Yeah. I'm well, speechless. It's, it's so funny, too, because, like, I don't know, man, just historically, do you remember, like, Marie Antoinette was pretty rich and like that didn't end well, you know, like, like well, there's a know. long, Kirsten the, the a czar movie. had a lot of money. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> go well for him. You know, yeah. bad things happen to rich people too. I mean, wow. fuck, and that's, like, that's uh, your main political stance as yeah. I recall. Yeah. Yeah. I will hang out with anybody rich because nothing bad can happen to them. Obviously <laughs> untrue. Um, yeah. I kind of suspect that that, that sort of, I don't know. You know, the fact that so much of what was said, like Zeke Foe is is clearly someone who's smart enough to like understand when he's being lied to by these people and understand their fundamental absurdity. And that comes across in his book. I don't think Lewis got that right. He believed fundamentally in the fundamental honesty uh, at the center of Sam Bankman Freed. And I kind of suspect that's why he covered his face with his hands that day in court. He's not a dumb man. And he must have realized by that point, the evidence that came out in the trial was undeniable. It made it undeniable that he got conned too. One of the most remarkable things about going infinite is how much detail Lewis provides about FTX's collapse without ever calling Sam a liar. The Guardian's review noted this too. He thought Bankman Freed hadn't lied to him at all, or at least that he'd only lied by omission, not by commission. Late in the book, Lewis asks Bankman Freed, what would you have done if I'd asked you specifically about FTX customer funds being used by Alameda? Bankman Freed admits that he would have changed the subject or rustled up a word salad. And whatever the facades erected by other effective altruists, Lewis considers Bankman Freed to be enigmatic but essentially genuine, and certainly not out to enrich himself, because he has no desire for the things that money can buy. Lewis's refusal to believe that Sam Bankman-Fried is a liar in the most venal, base sense of the word is based, I think, on a sense of professional pride. That explains why mm -hmm. he's so adamant about pushing the line that there was no money missing, and it's why he continued to defend Sam's dissembling as a fun, quirky character trait while the trial was going on. See, as part of the cash in Ongoing Infinite, Michael Lewis launched a podcast, Judging <gasps> Sam, the trial of Sam Bankman Freed. Oh, oh mm -hmm. it was a. Oh, see, yeah. and who but everyone on this call knows that the, the, the first sign that your life is about to be yeah. fucking torched. Yeah. Is, is starting a podcast. Wow. That's, that's right, right. It's the last refuse, refuge of fools and scoundrels. Yeah. Please pay for the cool zone free subscription at what do we call it, Sophie? <laughs> so uh, the trial judging Sam is part of Lewis's Against the Rules podcast on Pushkin. And I, I can't speak for the regular episodes of that podcast. I have not listened to any of the other ones. Nor but have I, yeah. I can say his Sam Bankman Freed trial podcast is an uneven effort at best. Most of the work is done by Lydia Jean. She's a, a journalist. 
she's okay. I don't have any huge issues with her. I think we get a little too much like, here's what the court kitchen is like. Here's anecdotes from the fun lives of the journalists covering uh, it. That, but also, then it gets, yeah, then it's like uh, I, my, my least favorite part of every public radio. And I love public yeah. radio, but the broadcast where it like begins with six minutes of a guy stepping on leaves and you're like, yeah. oh my God, I get it. Yeah. You're in fucking New Hampshire in October. Yeah, it's, it's what happened? It's permanently happens? fall where you NPR people <gasps> leave. We understand. There, yes. Yeah. Um, but every podcast on this trial does something like that. I think it's just because they have to, they were doing like basically daily episodes and needed to fill runtime. Oh, wow. And okay. like, look, is that lazy? Yes. Have we all been there? Yes. So I, <laughs> I simply can't throw stones at this glass house. What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so, As someone who's never had a daily podcast, I condemn this behavior because I've never had to do it. So, you're welcome. Lewis, <laughs> Lydia takes most of the have the lifting on this show because Lewis was on tour for his book, right? And so he he couldn't be there for most of it. He was barely at the trial. Yeah, he was screaming in, at women in cathedrals. He was uh, busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he does occasionally come on. Um, and one of the episodes that does show like he shows up to court on the day that Sam takes the trial in his, or takes the stand in his own defense. Um and, you know, during this portion where he's like, Sam's being cross-examined, he says, I don't recall more than a hundred times. Here's yes. how a write-up from The Verge summarizes his time on the stand. Bankman Freed's demeanor suggested a spoiled child complaining he didn't get the biggest scoop of ice cream at his birthday party. He didn't want to answer the prosecutor's questions or his lawyer's questions. He wanted to answer his own questions, which he liked better. He often replied to yes and no questions with nonsense. We were getting introduced to a document where Bankman Freed listed his priorities, including getting accounting right on FTX. Cohen and Bankman Freed, Cohen's his lawyer, and Bankman Freed used this to show how devoted Bankman Freed was to getting to the bottom of the general fiasco with Alameda's money. The the idea was to display in real time FTX's revenue and expenses, where its bank accounts were, how much investor money it had, and so on. This did reveal Bankman Freed's priorities. Getting accounting right was ranked ninth. So, so for the stories uh, Bankman Freed wanted to tell, we had to rely on Bankman Freed. We moved on to Bankman Freed's argument about hedging, which I still do not understand, except as a way for him to say he's a smarter trader than his ex-girlfriend, the former Alameda Research CEO Carolyn Ellison. God, this is more stand-up behavior. The actual evidence suggests that Ellison is both a better trader and much savvier than Bankman Freed. She modeled out a risk scenario that matched almost exactly what happened at FTX, for instance, to try to keep him from sinking $2 billion into venture investing. And, like, what happens is he's putting, you know, all this money into advertising, into, like, playing celebrities. He's putting, like, $2 billion into these random series of investments, and she's like— yeah hey, we've taken depositor money to gamble with. We have to keep more cash on hand. Otherwise, the whole exchange could collapse. Sam ignores her. The exchange collapses. And then he blames her for not hedging, right? And a hedge mm. is when you take like a bet that one thing will happen, you take the opposite bet at a smaller amount of money so that if no matter what happens, you can't lose too much money, right? Right. But- there's no hedging the kind of risks that FTX was taking because the no. fundamental risk was we don't have enough money if there's a run on the bank, you know? Well, it's like, like their their risk was we're never going to die. Like there, yeah. you can't you can't hedge that. Yeah. This is, I, what is wild to me is like everything you're describing is mm -hmm. ridiculous, and it makes total sense that it fucking yeah. imploded in the catastrophic way that it did. But then you also, I mean, so much of it sounds like the kind of stuff that. 
for example, Michael Lewis might report on is yes. a tremendous scam that worked out great for everybody. Yeah. And it's it's so, you know, again, that quote from The Verge is pretty re- uh, similar to how most reporters who were there at the trial described it. It is wildly different from how Michael Lewis describes how Sam reacts on the stage. Right. Oh, OK. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, obviously, most people were able to see, oh, yeah, Sam is just lying on the stand. He's obfuscating. He's refusing to answer answer the question. But Michael Lewis, not only does Michael Lewis like being lied to by Sam Bakeman Freed, he thinks Sam's defensive cloud of bullshit, right? This like word salad is better than the truth. And he says this in his fucking podcast. Jamie, you're going to love this clip. Today, he didn't get in as much trouble as he got yesterday, though. Not as much, but. Still a little bit more than other witnesses. Yeah, that's true. The bigger point is the judge is sitting there listening to see if Sam is actually answering the question. Because he now knows he doesn't do that, yeah. Or generating a word salad for us all to consume. And I was thinking about this again today. Why Sam's word salads are so fun. Like why he gets away with (laughs) it. Like most people, when they don't answer a question, your alarm bells go off pretty quickly. Like that, you just redirect it in some way. He's really, really good at starting the answer in a place where you think, oh, that's where the beginning of the answer belongs. And then making a little jump into things that are actually interesting to know about. So you're not bored. Mm-hmm. You're actually interested in what he's saying. You're saying like there's substance to it. He's not just saying nothing. He's saying something that's substantive and makes you think it's just not what you asked. But then you're thinking and you forget what you asked. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. So that's like he he's he's. He's just saying that, like, yeah, Sam's lies. He's really good at lying, like, it, it, and and it's fun to listen to him lie, as if that's a defense, right? Where they're saying, like, well, they really painted a different picture of Sam because they, you know, he he got to get up on the stage and bullshit. That's and again, a, that's a very interesting exchange to listen to as well, because yeah. it's like, you know, because it's very clear that Michael Lewis has very little to do with this podcast yeah. i don't know like I, I i can think of a number of examples of a like big name podcaster coming on their show to like be combative with the people who are actually making the show for them and that like exchange too is like no like i know what you're saying but yeah and and even in what she's describing like the court approach is either he's a genius or he's like an incompetent sweetie pie but you're just like or he's a malevolent dumbass, yeah, or which does or seem to be the case. A con man, yeah. But like, yeah, I, I I love this idea that like, yeah, we're we're getting to see the real Sam, who is a guy who never answers your actual question. But like, yeah. I, I, I want to continue the clip because Lewis says something very very ridiculous right after this. Okay, he's really really good at starting the answer in a place where you think, oh, that's where the beginning of the answer belongs, and then making a little jump into things that are actually interesting to know about. So you're not bored. Mm -hmm. You're actually interested in what he's saying. You're saying like there's substance to it. He's not just saying nothing. He's saying something that's substantive and makes you think it's just not what you asked. But then you're thinking and you forget what you asked. That's exactly what happens. It's engaging. It's like maybe it's even better than the answer to the question. Like right, he's asked, maybe it's what you should have asked. asked. You yes, maybe it's what even what you should have asked. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's Sam. The the questions Sam answers that aren't what he's being asked are what you should have asked, right? Like he's smarter than you, the interviewer, and he knows what you actually should have asked, which mm-hmm. I just thought was a wild thing for a journalist to say. 
this is, you know, we're getting to the end here, but the last thing I wanted to bring up was maybe the most interesting case of Michael Lewis following Sam's crap, which is him believing that Sam's outfit, his hairstyle, his poor hygiene are all evidence of his brilliance, right? Sam just didn't have time to, like, take care of his appearance in any way. He was too smart to waste any of it, like his his brain power on that. And yeah. that article in Jacobin gives a really good summary of how the actual testimony of Sam's former friends in court blew this idea out of the water. The prosecutor followed with questions about Sam's approach to public relations. Ellison explained he was trying to cultivate an image of himself as a sort of very smart, competent, somewhat eccentric founder. I was sitting in an overflow room on that day. So when the prosecutor asked, how would you describe the defendant's personal appearance through 2022? The room was allowed to erupt into laughter. Ellison replied, he looked like he didn't put a lot of effort into his personal appearance. He dressed sort of sloppily and didn't cut his hair often. He said he thought his hair had been very valuable. He said ever since Jane Street, he thought he had gotten higher bonuses because of his hair and it was an important part of ftx's narrative and image god yeah first embarrassing but also i think you know clearly predicated on the dipshit billionaires that came before him like there is a clear aesthetic and a clear like you know slovenly genius thing that he's like it's strategic and that's interesting right the fact that sam is standing on the shoulders of giants of of steve jobs unwashed shoulders like and you know mark zuckerberg's hoodie and whatever when he dresses like like a genocide hoodie that he wears yeah 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 and it's like yeah lewis describes it as like everything in sam's appearance felt less like a decision than a decision not to make a decision and no what everyone says at ftx is like he was obsessed with like his hair when they were spending trying to build their 200 million dollar or whatever new headquarters his only design note was that it should be shaped so it looked from the side like his hairs do because he thought that like he thought it was iconic right like which is also based on the what we were just uh listening to what the like logo to that podcast is is the shape yeah. of his hair everyone's yeah. playing into it it's fr- yeah Fuck, it, it's fucking wild anyway jamie that's my episode do, do you well, think we should fire michael lewis into the sun well i was i was thinking earlier i am very curious because uh, you know i think it's like a waste of time to ask like will michael lewis have another opportunity to course correct his career of course he will of course he will yes He's going to write 70 more books. Well, what I'm curious about is like where he goes from here. I feel like it's pretty telling if you've been conned to this fucking degree because no one clocked him in the blind side. But now he's been pretty severely clocked as like giving in to his worst biases and reporting it as fact. And I do wonder like if that's the position you're in and you will absolutely write another book because you're unkillable financially. Like, I wonder which direction he's going to go in. Is he going to be hyper cautious? Is he going to play it safe? Is he going to be self-reflective at all? Or is he going to double down on the falling for it kind of stuff? I, I, I genuinely don't know because I just like, it's very hard to discern what kind of person, like, it seems like he's certainly you know, like high in his own supply and is like, well, you know, of course anyone could have fallen for it, but he is sort of 
conceding to the fact that he fell for it. I just am curious what happens to someone from there. My suspicion, and maybe I'll be wrong about this. I think we'll know pretty soon. I think he's going to do another Sam. I specifically think he's a going second to. second Sam. Yeah, oh, a, sec- oh, a second Sam right. has hit the Michael Lewis you're bibliography. Right. Oh, and it's going no. to be Sam Altman. Like he's going to do a Sam Altman, the open AI guy who just got fired from his job. He's going to do a book on Sam Altman. I suspect I think oh, the only for fuck's sake, you're it. probably right. You're yeah. probably, because then he'll be like, and I would know. I, I can see through Sam's now. Having been conned by yeah. one, I certainly yeah. won't be conned yeah, by Sam two. Sam me once, Sam on you. Sam me twice, won't get Sammed again, you know? I am Just like father George Bush of said. Sam, son yeah. of Sammy <laughs> shit. Wow, yeah. yeah, no, that. Um, That's my guess as to where this goes, is Sam Altman. Uh, um, what a, why is Michael wrong. Lewis being presented with a second Sam? Doesn't yeah. seem fair. A well, second right, Sam no. is it that? Well, I've already done that joke once, and it worked. And, and it, it worked, all it always works, Jamie. It, it really always does. works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't feel gra- well. You know, I, I've I, I I would say that this is like in the top twenty percentile of bastards episodes. I've come out feeling like you know I don't feel that bad. <laughs> I usually yeah. feel like really dire. I feel I feel pretty good. Yeah. He's yeah. in forever. He's in forever jail. Mm-hmm. He's in. He he is in forever jail, right? Yeah. Speaking of forever jail, Jamie, talent is like a jail that locks you into, for example, making a weekly podcast. And it's I am true. happy that you and I are about to be cellmates. We are. I'm so mm-hmm. excited. It's, yeah. We get to do the fun thing where we're like, mm-hmm. we can't talk much about it yet, but there's yeah, a weekly podcast. Yeah, can't talk much about it, but uh, Jamie Loftus Weekly is coming to the Cool Zone Network. Early you are next going year. to be the cool hand Luke of our podcast prison. You're welcome. God, I would love the, to be the cool hand Luke of the yeah, podcast yeah. prison. I got to get some new outfits. Got to get some new outfits. Got to. <laughs> no, that's not the one. Is that the one where he throws a baseball at the wall, or is that the great escape? Um, I feel like that I was cool, cool hand Luke. Luke. A long time. Neither have I. Not since yeah. I was like seven. So I don't know. Wow, you saw Cool Hand Luke when you were seven? Yeah, my mom loved that movie. Nice. <laughs> my my mom had very strict rules on like what I could watch on as movies as a kid, unless it was a movie she liked, which is why I, I was in first grade when we watched Alien. <laughs> so, <laughs> ooh, that explains so much about you to me too. <laughs> like you saw, she was, you saw she Alien was when you so were six. excited that all the men die and 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 the woman didn't. That like, yeah, she wanted me to see that movie at a very <sighs> young age. What a legacy. Truly, what a legacy. I, yeah. The sentence, because men are stupid, was uttered two or three times during that movie. <laughs> Which does unpack a lot of the plot, intended or not. Uh-huh. There, yeah. uh, my mom would let me watch soap operas very young, and would I, I would be like, what do they mean when they say making love? And she would yeah. say, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. I'm seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, haven't, you have not equipped me to answer that question, mother. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, yes, weekly podcast coming soon, early next year. What's it about? You guess, but don't contact me about it because you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A second Jamie has hit the cool zone. I mean, you've done more than two podcasts. This joke never worked, but whatever. But a a first Jamie (laughs) has hit the cool zone weekly. That's right. Jamie, what, what podcast is this of ours? Oh God! How many? How many? This is. Well, this will be what? Oh my God! Oh, it's impossible Jesus to say. It's impossible uh, to say. When I think it's like six. Yeah, I think it's like six. 
we've entered the half dozen range. It's getting dangerous. That's so cool for us. I know. We're forever wives. Yeah. Sam Bankman freed forever jail. Forever jail. Us forever wives. Uh, uh, so, Jamie, yeah. anything else you wanted to plug before we ride on out of here? Fucking like Michael buy Lewis raw into the sunset? dog, bitches. <laughs> yeah, it's the holidays. Are you looking for something to get for yeah. your loved or hated one? I won't know. Buy a copy of Raw Dog. It's my book about hot dogs. And if you don't like hot dogs, the title's funny. And I think that's, you know, about 60% of the purchases I've gotten have been off that alone. So you yeah. should buy Raw Dog. And yeah. Um, yeah. Mm hmm. Buy raw dog and uh, no, nah, I'm not going to make a raw dog joke. That's just going to get me in trouble. <laughs> anyway, buy a Cooler Zone Media subscription and yeah. you won't have to hear ads. Or don't buy a Cooler Zone Media subscription and continue to listen to ads. It's I I don't care. Live your life. I'm not your fucking dad. If you really want to hear the uh, ad advertisers that Robert's disparaging, I personally think it's more fun to imagine it. So you should get a Cooler Zone Media subscription. Yeah. yeah. Once everyone's on Cooler Zone Media, then we can finally get that sweet Lockheed Martin subscription that I uh, <laughs> the, or uh, this, uh, whatever ad deal that I've been wanting to have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then Robert can finally live inside a grenade. Like it's mm -hmm. always been his dream. That's been too. my dream. That's been my dream, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're done. Bye. We did it. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.